Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I wasn't going to say anything about that new grandson that I have, but so many of you have been asking about that uh, since my last sermon. Uh, we do have a, a wonderful grandson. Uh, thank you for all of the prayers. Uh, the last major concern they had before he was born that his kidneys were fused together. And after the birth, an ultrasound shows that his kidneys are fine. So uh, we praise God for that, and we thank you for all those prayers. Well, I'm retired Pastor Chuck Keyworth, and uh, we have been looking at the feast of the Jewish culture and the Jewish faith as lived out throughout the Old Testament, looking at how Jesus is portrayed within those different feasts and how Jesus fulfills so many of those feasts. And so over the last uh, couple of weeks, Pastor Aaron has shared with us about Passover and how Jesus is the Passover lamb who died to save us from our sins. Last week, he spoke to us about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the cleansing of all of the leaven from the houses before the bread was made and before the feast, which was that symbol of Jesus cleaning and wiping away the sin in our lives. And so today we come to the next two feasts. Today is actually a two-for-one. Uh, we'll be looking at the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of Weeks, which is also known as Pentecost. And so with that, I'm going to read just a few selected verses of Leviticus chapter 23. That's been the focus of scripture for this series. And so this morning, I invite you to hear these words. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my anointed feast, the appointed feast of the Lord, which you are proclaimed as sacred assemblies. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I am going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. You must not eat any bread or roast any new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf as a wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And then from the book of Acts, we hear these words that take place on that Passover, the feast of the Passover after Jesus' death and resurrection. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came rushing from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Brothers and sisters, these are God's word for us for this day. Well, we have been... I'm missing the 
sorry, I'm missing the memory verse uh, for us today. So I guess we'll go to the the church prayer. Let's stand and join together uh, our our church prayer. Ah, there we go, memory verse, thank you. (laughs) While we're standing, let's look at the memory verse from Hebrews 9. Let's repeat it together. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our conscience from acts. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sins committed after the first covenant. Hebrews 9, 14 through 15. And then our our church prayer. Let us pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let the kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. Gracious God, we do thank you. We praise you for the way that you fill us with your spirit. And we pray that this morning you would fill each of us as you fill this place, just as that first day of Pentecost. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit this morning, that we would know of your presence. And as we come, we pray that you'd help us to quiet our hearts so that we might be able to be set free from the preoccupations, the worries, the anxieties that we may have, uh, those things that are ahead of us this day and this week, and help us to focus upon you and you alone in these moments. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in times gone by, In older times, uh, in rural America, so many agricultural communities, small communities, and they would gather their crops, farmers would gather their crops and take them to the local grain elevator that would then buy those crops and then it would be shipped out on train. You familiar with those? There's still some of those around uh, some of our smaller communities. Well, there's a story told about a small church in one of those communities. And that church was struggling financially, as many small rural uh, agricultural churches are. They were having trouble paying the bills, and the church treasurer finally resigned and said, I just can't take the stress anymore of not being able to pay the bills when they come in. I just can't handle it anymore. The church leadership, they didn't know what to do. They asked everyone they could think of, and everyone they thought was gifted. No one would accept the job. And they finally said, well, let's ask the owner of the grain elevator, see if he would be treasurer. Uh, He was a member of the church, and when they approached him, he said, you know how busy I am, um, but I'll do it under one condition. I will not attend any monthly meetings. I will not submit to you any treasurer's report until the end of the year. Well, they weren't sure they wanted to accept that, but they didn't have any choice, so they agreed. And they just went on the rest of the year. At the end of the year, the owner of the grain elevator came and offered his treasury report. And they were all stunned. 
All of the bills had been paid. Mission giving had, was the highest that it had ever been. And they had a huge amount in the reserves. And they said to the, the manager, the owner of the grain elevator, the treasurer, how did this happen? And he said, oh, it was easy. He said, I know the members of our church, and whenever they would bring their grain to the elevator, I would just take 10% off the top and give it to the church in their name. <laughs> now, I don't know that any of us would actually condone that behavior. It's not a true story, by the way. <laughs> I don't know of any who would condone that, but I don't know of any pastor, finance committee, or church that wouldn't love those kind of results. Because what that, what that grain elevator under, owner understood was the meaning of these two feasts that we are coming to talk about this morning. The feast of the first fruits and the feast of the weeks. These two, sorry, I am way off on my PowerPoint. I'm hitting the wrong buttons. Uh, the, the first, that's what happens when you get rusty and you retire. <laughs> so the first fruits uh, was a symbol of the first grain offering of the winter or early spring, spring crop, namely the barley crop. The Feast of Weeks was the beginning of the harvest for the uh, late spring crops or the early summer crops, primarily wheat. And so both of those feasts, along with the ritual that would go along with that, would then come to celebrate these gifts of the harvest, the first fruits of that harvest. See, if they offered the first fruits as God instructed them to do, it was a chance for them to acknowledge that God's hand was upon this crop that had been sown. It was a declaration of their dependence upon God. It was the confidence that God would bless the rest of the harvest so that there would be an abundance. And so in these feasts, with all of its associate ritual, they came to celebrate God's good gifts. And see, they were actually living out what Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, where it says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. An abundance of harvest, God promises, and a declaration to that when we honor the Lord with our wealth, we will be blessed. Don't we still do that today? I hope so. Throughout my years of ministry and even in retirement, when I get my check, whether paycheck or pension check, the very first check I write is my tithe and offerings to the church to honor God for what God has given. Now, maybe my work hasn't been in the hands and a farmer in the fields, but God has used each of our gifts to give us an abundance. And these feasts are that call to remember for us, even as we give of our first fruits, the first check, then we are honoring the Lord and we are placing our dependence upon him. And so we give him praise for that. Well, let me put that in context first. The context of first fruits. If we look at the, the passage that Pastor Aaron has been teaching us the last couple weeks, on the 14th day of the first month was Passover. 
on the 15th day began the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And then in Leviticus it says, and the day after the Sabbath is the first of the feast of first fruits where we bring in our, our barley and the priest wave uh, a, a sheaf of that grain offering. You see how those fit together? All three of those feasts, the first three feasts listed in Leviticus, they all fit together within that same time frame. Let's put this together on uh, when Jesus was here. Because remember, Jesus was a Jewish man. He participated in all of these Jewish feasts. And so as he participated in them, he went to Passover. Now, again, remember that the Jewish people, their day began at 6 p.m. So Friday begins at 6 p.m. Thursday and goes through 6 p.m. Saturday or Friday. The Sabbath day, sorry, I'm getting tongue-tied. The Sabbath day, which is Saturday for the Jewish people, begin at 6 p.m. Friday night and last all day Saturday until 6 p.m. Saturday. So when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he had them go sacrifice the Passover lamb on that day we call Monday, Thursday. They gather together that evening we celebrate it as Monday, Thursday and, and celebrate the Last Supper and Holy Communion and Jesus' feet washing and all of that event. That actually is happening on the Passover day for the Jewish nation. And then Good Friday is still Passover where the Passover lamb, Jesus, dies for the sins of the world. Sabbath starts at 5 p.m., Friday. Remember, the women needed to hurry to get Jesus off the cross on Friday so that it, he would not be there on the Sabbath because it was the day of preparation, preparation for the Sabbath. And so they hurried to bury Jesus on Friday so that he would be in the tomb on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is watch The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the day after the Sabbath, which is what? Sunday... What happens on Sunday? Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus becomes, if you will, the first fruits of death and resurrection. Jesus becomes that first fruits of death and resurrection. Now, that's important for us to know because first fruits implies what? There's more to come. The celebration of the first fruits was so that God would bless them and have an abundance of harvest. Jesus, as the first fruit in death and resurrection, promises there will be many more that will follow. Death and resurrection. Now, this wasn't just any normal death. Jesus raised a lot of people from dead. Three of them in the scripture that we are told about is Lazarus. Jairus' daughter, and the widow of Nain, her son. But every one of those that Jesus raised from the dead, they all died again. They all had a second death, so to speak. The power of the resurrection says that uh, there is greater and greater power over that sin and death. And he is the first fruits of the power of resurrection. Even the apostle Paul 
recognized that and confirmed this whole sequence of events and the power of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so will all be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. He's the first fruits. First fruit, first fruit of the power of resurrection. Not just allowing us to live so that we'll die again, but that we will live for eternal life. That is the promise. Jesus is the first fruit. Now, if we were to read just a little further down in that passage from 1 Corinthians that I just read, it says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus died on the cross to defeat sin on Passover. He rose on Easter, the Feast of First Fruits, so that he could have victory over death and defeat that last enemy. In his death and resurrection, he has victory over sin and death, your sin, and yes, our ultimate death. He has claimed victory over all of that and promises those of us who believe and will follow him and trust him as our Lord and Savior, we too will be among the further fruits down the line to experience resurrection because Jesus is the first fruit. Jesus goes ahead of us, so to speak, in death and in resurrection. Now, may I push that just a little bit further? I believe that if Jesus is going before us as the first fruits of death and resurrection, that Jesus is also going ahead of us in life. That he's going ahead of us. Oh yes, he's walking beside us, alongside us. But he's also going ahead of us to prepare the way. Because Jesus also said, I came that you might have life. Abundant life. You see, if Jesus was only interested in our salvation, as soon as we come to faith, we might as well die and go right to heaven. But we're still on this earth for a reason, for a task. And he says, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full in John 10.10. 10. He wants us to live life to the fullest. And I believe that Jesus goes before us to prepare the way. Aren't you glad that somebody goes ahead of us in life? If you have a medical procedure, don't you want a doctor who has done thousands of those procedures as opposed to somebody that says, oh, this is my first time? We want somebody who goes ahead of us. We want somebody who leads the way. I love to hike. I like to hike in uh, woods and trails, in mountains. And it's always the best, for, in my opinion, is that that trail ends up at a waterfall. I love to do those hikes. Now, some of those trails, and, I, and I'm glad somebody has went before me to show me the way. We have books on my bookshelf of books, of waterfalls in many states. So we can look up and say, which waterfall do we want to go today? And somebody's went ahead of us and given us directions. And that we can go to the trail. 
Now, some of those trails are really easy. They're asphalt. Maybe they're a boardwalk. Maybe they're, they are uh, packed down and nice trail. It's easy to know where, where you're going. But I have been on some of those trails where I don't know fully where I'm at. You can't discern where the trail is any longer, and so all you need to do is keep an eye on the trees ahead to see the blazes that are painted there. And depending on what trail you're on, whether you're following the white blazes or the red blazes or the blue blazes, you know that old saying, where in the blue blazes am I? Well, there's the blue blaze. <laughs> you follow those, and sometimes in, it gets a little uncomfortable when it's a long ways away from one tree with a blaze to the next. And you keep searching, and you, but I'm glad somebody has went before me. Now, some of the trails that, uh, that I've taken, it will take us out and will take us along a lake, whether Lake Superior, Lake Huron, or uh, other places. And you'll come out of the, the woods, and you'll come across the, uh, the beach, a rock beach. Pretty hard to discern where a trail is on a rock beach. And on a rock beach, you don't quite know how far you're going to go before you cut back into the woods. And so a lot of those will have the white blazes painted on a rock. Or there'll be a little stack of stones called cairns along the way that you would follow the cairns. And if you're fortunate enough to be in Canada, they even have, I, I know I'm going to mispronounce it, exixnus. Uh, that's that, their style of building uh, rocks that will point, say, you're on the right path. Uh, they get pretty elaborate with their stone cairns. Uh, someone's leading the way. Now, friends, I believe that Jesus is the one who's leading the way for us. It doesn't matter whether we are in the midst of a wonderful time in the journey of life. Jesus has paved the way. But it also doesn't matter if we are in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sorrow, grief, difficulties, financial troubles, whatever issues we might face, Jesus is the first fruits, and he's already gone ahead. And he's paving the way for us. And not only has he paved the way, he's then going to come back and he's going to walk alongside us in the journey of life. All because he is the first fruits, that he didn't die and then just come back to life. He died and was resurrected. There's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection, and Jesus was resurrected, which means he's still alive and still leading us, still walking by our side to guide us in the journey of life. Friends, that, that is the, the celebration of the feast of first fruits, that he's the first fruits of resurrection so he can walk with us day by day, and even when that time comes for our death, he will be there and we will follow his first fruits into resurrection for those of us of faith. Praise God for that. Praise God for the wonders of that. Well, let's move on to the next feast. Uh, the next feast is the Feast of Weeks, or as we call it, the Feast of Pentecost. Leviticus says, from the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks. You shall count until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days. Pent, penta means 50 Pentecost, 50 days. Same festival that uh, was celebrated 
in the Jewish faith, we today as Christians still celebrate Pentecost. But for Pentecost, for the Jewish faith and what Jesus would have been celebrating uh, had a little bit different meaning. It had a different power. It had a different understanding. Uh, yes, it was the Feast of the Barley, but it was so important that God said, you need to come home. Actually, there were three of those kind of feasts that were required by law that you come back to celebrate. Uh, Leviticus 23, and it's very similar in Deuteronomy 16, 16, says three times in the year you shall hold a festival. Unleavened bread, which is along with Passover, the festival of harvest, that is Pentecost, and the festival of ingathering, which is tabernacle. Three times in the year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Now, we may say, wow, that's pretty strict. God's requiring us to come back for these three festivals every year. But it was kind of like saying, there's a law, you have to go back and visit your mom and dad and family at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know, it was one of those things that wasn't considered manipulative. Everybody wanted to go back to those feasts. But there were, these three were required. And so we come to the fourth, the fourth feast that is listed in that Leviticus uh, series, uh, now Pentecost. It was so important, even in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. He had established the community, a faith community of Ephesus early on, and he loved the people. But it says Paul, in Acts 20, had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. See, even Paul in his missionary journey was trying to get back to the day of Pentecost. It was very important. Now, one of the things that had transpired over the years is there was another observation, observance that had been added to Pentecost. It was no longer, it, was, it certainly had the agricultural portion of celebrating the wheat har harvest and all of that ritual, but they had added another historical dimension to the day. Because some people believed that Passover and fruit of un, or the unleavened bread festival happened as Moses was led out of Egypt. And it says that he arrived at Mount Sinai on the third month. And some scholars say, well, maybe that was around Pentecost that he around, arrived at Mount Sinai. And so uh, the early Jewish community added the historical emphasis to remember the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So it had that double focus on Pentecost. And you remember what happened when Moses got to Mount Sinai? Do you remember that story? The cloud, the mountaintop was covered by clouds and smoke and there was lightning and thunder. It, it was a pretty terrifying experience. And Moses went up on the mountain. He was up there for 40 days. And the people said, oh, we've got all this lightning and smoke and thunder. Uh, what's happened to Moses? He must have died up there. We need a God. And say so they took their gold and they created this golden calf. And they held it up and said, this is the God who took us out of Egypt. This will be the God who will lead us. And God said to Moses up on the mountain, Moses, you better get down there. Those people are messing up. And remember that commandment I just wrote on the stone said, thou shalt not create any graven images and they're already doing it. Moses comes down, he's so angry. You remember he broke the stone tablets and it says in Exodus 32, 28, that as a consequence, about 3,000 of the people fell, died that day. 3,000 people died because of that disobedience. 
Later, Moses went back up on the mountain and got two more tablets to replace the ones he broke and came back down and led the people forward. So Pentecost became the time for, in Jewish days, in Jesus' days, of celebrating the wheat harvest and celebrating the Ten Commandments. Now let's forward to what happened with Jesus. He died on Passover, was in the tomb on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits, and what happened 50 days later? Pentecost. Pentecost. And it says all the people of the nations were gathered there in that sermon that Peter preached to them. There were all kinds of nations. Why? Because everybody that was Jewish from all over the world was gathering back for Pentecost, for the feast. But on that day, there was a mighty wind, a mighty rushing wind, and something like tongues of fire, another natural phenomenon, supernatural, we would say, happening, and it created an anxiety, and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the people. And Acts 2, 41 says, about 3,000 people were saved that day. See some correlation? You see all of the natural phenomenon with the smoke, wind, clouds, lightning, thunder, a mighty wind, and tongues of fire. We hear about how we have uh, the, the giving of the law and the pouring out of the Spirit upon the disciples who began to speak in other languages and were empowered to do God's will. We have 3,000 people who died that day at Mount Sinai, and we have 3,000 people who came to life in their salvation the day of Pentecost. The two were linked once again. Jesus linked those two events. Jesus, I believe, fulfilled what Jeremiah was saying. In the, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, which they broke. And by the way, when he says, which they broke, had a dual meaning. The covenant that Moses literally broke of the tablets and the covenant of the law that the people of Israel broke over and over again. Jeremiah continues, he says, but I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. How's that happened? By the infilling of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon each of us and giving us that gift of new life. You see, we have this difference between the law and the Spirit. The law came to teach us, to give us that sign to point us to righteousness, but the law can never save us. That law will lead to death. Versus the Spirit who comes as a response to Jesus telling his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away, for as I go I will ask the Father and he will send the Spirit to come upon you. And the giving of the Spirit, which leads to life. Now, I said a lot of my hikes I like to end at a waterfall. And after one beautiful long hike, we ended up at this beautiful waterfall. And my wife, Della, is a retired math teacher. She likes to follow the rules. I love signs on the, on the trail that says, this trail goes here, this trail goes there. And we came to this waterfall and it says, do not pass this point. Fatalities have occurred. And a little further down it said, because of all the flash floods. Well, it was a beautiful sunny day. It had been very dry. And I said, well, I see other people up by the waterfall. I'm going. And she said, I'm staying at the sign. 
So I took this short journey up to the, the fall, and it was a beautiful day. There was no issue. And of course, I'm coming, you can hardly see it. But as I'm walking back, she takes the picture to make sure my face is showing right over this sign, do not pass, and I'm on the other side of this. <laughs> Friends, we are all lawbreakers, and we are all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came to die to give us life and offer us new life. The Spirit brings us life as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Indeed, friends, that is our hope. And that's how these two feasts are united. Paul again speaks in Romans 8, 11, says, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which lives in you. Friends, that's our hope. That's our hope that God loves us so much that he sent his son to be the first fruit of death and resurrection who goes before us to lead us into life no matter what life throws at us. He's with us and he's gone before and he promises to be that first fruit he promises to be the one who will send the Spirit to give us hope and meaning and purpose in life. And so this morning, as, as we leave this place, I just want to offer you three challenges to look at. As you go forth, I would ask that you might examine how are you, how are we bringing our first fruits to God in thanksgiving? How are we offering that praise to Jesus Christ to God for all he gives is our dependence upon him. Secondly, will we allow Jesus to go before him and not only go, allow him to go ahead, will we follow him? Even in death and especially then in the gift of resurrection. And thirdly, will we allow the Holy Spirit to write God's law upon our hearts? And will we be seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit who empower us so that we might find hope and joy and life and power for our daily living. It's all offered to us through Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is accept it and say, yes, Lord, come into my heart. Write that on my heart and lead me in the days ahead. I acknowledge that I'm the one who crosses that line of the law. I'm a lawbreaker, but I want your grace and your life and forgiveness. It's available to each of us. I invite the praise band to come, and as they come, let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we praise your holy name and thank you for the gift of your love and care. Thank you for the power of your love and the power of resurrection. And we pray that we might indeed allow that spirit to renew us, to work within us, so that we might be filled with your love and grace as we live our life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to go into a time of, of prayer stations right now. So prayer team, if you would, go ahead and step on out and get to your stations. So I want to encourage you as, as we're in this time just to kind of meditate on God. If you want to come up for any of the prayer stations, feel free to do that. We're going to worship a little bit as well. We're just going to take the next few moments just to, to do some prayer time.